From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer, your host. This Friday, we celebrate International Transgender Day of Visibility, an opportunity to celebrate the many contributions trans people have made to society, as well as raise awareness for the work that needs to be done to achieve gender equality for us all. Our guests today have been fighting to make New Orleans a safer place for transgender and gender nonconforming people in the face of a pernicious law that has targeted and criminalized them. In addition to building safe spaces for Black trans women to rest, learn, live, and thrive, Wendy Cooper and Milan Sherry have dedicated their lives to repealing this law, a law that once threatened their own lives. We are currently witnessing a wave of anti-trans legislation across the country, but the criminalization of trans people is nothing new. For over 20 years, Louisiana's Crime Against Nature by Solicitation Law, or CANS for short, made offering oral or anal sex for money a felony, with penalties including up to five years in prison with hard labor and mandatory registration on the sex offender database. These harsh penalties never applied to the state's other anti-sex work laws and were specifically designed to target queer people, especially Black trans women. Louisiana strengthened CANS in 1992, and in 2011, 40% of people on the New Orleans Sex Offender Registry were convicted under CANS. Of those, 75% were women and 79% were Black. A recent documentary, Cans Can't Stand, highlights Wendy, Milan, and others in their fight against Cans and efforts to build community for trans women in New Orleans and beyond. We are so excited to speak with them about their tenacious activism and the experience of releasing Cans Can't Stand at a time of such backlash against LGBTQ rights and representation. Wendy, Milan, thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Kendall, for having us as well. Yes, thank you. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. For people who aren't familiar with CANS as a law, you know, it's been looming over life in New Orleans since 1805. How would you describe its impact? I mean, this law has impacted so many people on like literally every every level. You know, um, when you think about people who are just literally trying to make ends meet, provide a roof over their head, provide... Um, meals for themselves and their families. Um, so something that um, comes so natural to many of us to be to be criminalized for it. And specifically, let's be honest, Crime Against Nature was created to target a certain demographic of people. You know, at one point in time in New Orleans, you know, it was literally um, basically what we considered a crime to walk down the street as a as an openly um, trans person. Um, you were easily targeted a lot of officers were targeting specifically transgender sex workers because it was very easy to pick up one of them, arrest them, charge them with this, and go on to lunch. Exactly. Yes. I mean, if an officer can do this so quickly, can pick someone up, arrest them, charge them, and go to lunch, as you say, it feels like this law ultimately depends on profiling, which is also very similar to what happened to you, Wendy. I'm wondering if you might be willing to share some of that story and experience with us. Take us back to that day in 1999, if you will. 
So for me, I was just on my way to a club and I was just going to meet some friends and I would stop by an officer, right? And so at this time, I wasn't engaging in sex work. And so what this officer did was this officer used, um, this officer used the, the, he arrested me um, of crime against nature law because of how it was written in the 1800s, right? Talking about things that is not appropriate, talking about sex acts that is not appropriate, you know, um, oral sex and anal sex and all these different things. And he was able to arrest me, right? And so, you know, that's what happened, you know? And so I think it's important to, when we are um, um, educating people on, you know, like how, uh, this law is used, you know, this law is this, how this law affects people, how people are impacted by this law. A lot of folks who are in our community don't have to engage in sex work. They was just being windy. They was just being maligned, right? And so, but because of this, because of that hurdle that, you know, we had to experience in regards to um, being impacted by the crime against nature law, we always forced to engage in survival sex work in order for us to survive. It's just so devastating to hear that this law drives this vicious cycle of surveilling and criminalizing people who are already some of the most marginalized in society. I want to zoom in here on one part of what makes CAN so pernicious. Why can sex work sometimes be a means of survival? When we think about, like, as far as the school-to-prison pipeline, um, the lack of job opportunities, you know, the lack of, of housing, um, the lack of resources um, forces people to sometimes do, and which is why, you know, whether, whatever, when we talk about survival sex work or, or survival um, crime in general, whether it be you engaging in sex work, whether it be you boosting or stealing out of stores to provide meals for yourself and your family, um, there are certain things that put people into space or in, into a place to where they have no choice but to. So for many Black trans women, specific, particularly here in, in the South, where well, we have no laws that are set in place to protect us against discrimination. Louisiana is an at-will state, right? So as a, as a person who can fire me and not give me a reason why, just because you didn't like my hair color today, you was the third, I'm gone, Right. Or the fact that, oh, I found out that you're trans and you're, you're renting one of my units or I'm going to need you out of here because I don't support that type of community. You know, these are things that oftentimes many of our community members have faced. Um, and it's the lack of, uh, the lack of, the lack of opportunity, um, to be able to, to thrive. So when you don't have access to things, you know, you're going to do things. Um, and you're going to find other means to provide. And so um, for many of us, um, we fall into sex work. Um, and of course, that leads into other things, but mainly lack of opportunity. I think it's so important that we're clear about the systemic discrimination that cans only just elevates, takes further, if you will. Milan, you encountered cans when you were a teenager. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your experience. I was 16 years old when I was charged with my first crime against nature. Matter of fact, it was I would never forget it because it was July 22nd, 
the day before my birthday. I'm born on July 23rd. Midnight, I would have been 17 years old. In the state of Louisiana, at 17, you are considered an adult. I got arrested at exactly 1034 on, uh, on, on July 22nd. And I can remember the, the detective and the officers, um, telling me how if I was only 17, I wouldn't be going to the juvenile detention center. I'd be in fact going to Arlene's parish with the adults. I, in fact, recall when I went through the judge at the time said it himself. Um, it's because you are a child and a youth that we're um, going to be leaning on you in regards to, because at the time I was the first child to come through that court system with a crime against nature anyway. And so the judge told me that he didn't want to see me throw my life away and that, you know, that basically he was going to give me another opportunity. But the thing is, I had restrictions. I couldn't go out to the quarters, right? I'm on probation. So he said things in place. I couldn't go out to the quarters. Um, my probation officer was to um, monitor me through school, making sure that I'm in school, how I'm doing in school, this, that, and the third. Um, by the end of it, I, I did all the things that I needed to do. I stayed out of trouble. They released me off for probation. And when I think about my personal experience as a youth that was charged with a crime against nature versus Wendy, who was an adult when she was charged with her crime against nature, that eventually it cost her her job. You know, it cost her certain things to where when you are now charged with this, with this, um, with this charge, which is the crime against nature. And you have to register as a sex offender. And at the time, they plastered it at the bottom of your ID or, or driver's license in bold red letters or orange letters that read sex offender. Imagine how many times you have to show your ID, right? Just whether it's going traveling through the airport, whether it's going to the club, whether it's going grab a drink, whether it's, it's, it's going seek assistance, right? But when people often see sex offender, they already have in this mind, in their mind, who you are as a person. I think that's exactly right. They use that label to determine how to treat someone, right? It is a scarlet letter. It is meant to be that. It's functioning exactly as it was designed. In the film, Wendy, you talk about your experience on the sex registry list and the way that that stigma that it created permeated all areas of your life. And in then in the midst of this, in the midst of enduring that kind of stigma, you began your advocacy against CANS, initially anonymously, by joining a no-justice lawsuit in 2012 as an anonymous plaintiff seeking to declare CANS unconstitutional. But later, you decided to go public as one of the plaintiffs in the, the case. Why? Yes. So about over a decade ago, um, uh, I uh, when it came down to, uh, you know, talking about my experience with the crime against each other, I always was afraid. Um, I grew up in a time where, you know, um, I had to be voiceless. You know, my community had to be voiceless. And so, um, and so, you know, that's the code that we had to, you know, we had to stand by. And because, you know, we didn't want to be able to, we didn't want to, you know, deal uh, with the the effects of uh, 
this, this, this system that is so huge, this system that is so powerful, right? Which is the criminal justice system. And so I always tell people because of my lie, you know, um, this young girl who I've known prior to um, seeing her speak on, uh, on the news and she just was talking. And for me, you know, I, you know, at the time, I wouldn't be able to have the courage um, to do that because in the South, it's like we was always taught that, you know, we have to just keep things under the rug, just let it be and just keep on pushing, right? And so listening to Milan and listening to how, you know, she's talking with so much courage that allowed me to want to, you know, talk more and talk more, right? And so Milan is one of these people that people always tell me like, well, how can this little girl can show you when you you paved the way for her? And, and to me, it's like, well, actually, she paved the way for me because what she did was she told me that I'm, she gave me that voice to be able to go in and tell people my story and tell people, of, you know, what I had to deal with and things like that. I've given you the spark, but you have definitely carried the torch. And the thing is, it's been Wendy and women like Wendy who have always created this underground railroad of resources. There wasn't a lot of agencies out there specifically targeting to service our community. So Wendy, like many other folks in our community, many of our other elders opened their doors, their own personal homes, cooked their own personal meals, you know, clothes fed and bathed community members. You know, so as much as, you know, she give me my homage um, when we're in spaces, you know, I think it's it's equally important to lift her up, um, to let her know that her contributions have been very impactful. Um, And I know throughout the conversations that Wendy and I have had, you know, Um, that every day isn't easy. You know, we have to deal with everything and still show up for ourselves and those around us. And so oftentimes we're not always given the grace or the space to kind of process stuff and move through things. Um, But that's something that I kind of try to remind folks around me that's in my space or in my corner, in my tribe, um, or people who pass I just crossed that, you know, Remind them to take the time for them. Um, and so again, I, I'm, I'm honored, um, to have been able to be a part of the Cannes film, um, to be able to shed light on, um, my experience and many other folks' experiences. Um, but to be most importantly, um, to be along and do this with Wendy, I went, ask for anyone other, or I wouldn't really want any other person. (laughs) I find your relationship to be really beautiful and heartwarming and just like such an amazing example of what it can mean to be in the trenches with other people and to have your liberation tied to each other and also just like a beautiful intergenerational story. I mean, you keep emphasizing that um, you're different ages um, uh, and that you're inspired by each other. And it's so beautiful. I think that 
Uh, We need more examples of that. I want to just pivot a little bit to the work that is ahead and and the work that you all have been doing in the community. But I also want to be clear, just really briefly, that because of you both speaking out, Milan and you, you on TV and Wendy, you seeing Milan and deciding that, you know, your initial anonymous witness in a lawsuit seeking to declare Cairns unconstitutional became a public witness to try to declare Cairns unconstitutional. And that lawsuit granted the removal of more than 700 people convicted under Cairns from the sex offender registry, which is really, really amazing. There's still work to be done. And I know, Wendy, you lead the Cairns Can't Stand campaign, which works in partnership with Operation Restoration to advocate for the full repeal of Cairns. Much of the footage in the film focuses on a march that we see. Cans Can't Stand led this march to raise awareness. Some of the folks involved spoke out against their experiences being arrested or convicted under cans. What has it been like to build this community around something that was once such a source of shame? Right after the verdict in 2012, Kendall, when um, the state of Louisiana had to remove the over 800 people off the sex offender register or whatever. I was very excited about it because, you know, I didn't, I feel like I should have been a sex offender in the first place. And I was very excited, right? You know, knowing that sex offender was going to be removed from off my driver's license and also my identification card. But after a few days passed, I feel like that victory wasn't completed, right? I feel like it wasn't a full victory for me. And so for years, I've always asked people, can he help me with trying to, you know, get this law repealed, you know, and things like that. I even went through the process of like trying to, I mean, get my record expunged or trying to get my conviction overturned and, you know, things like that. And so one day I communicated with leaders, um, trans leaders um, in the city of New Orleans, like Milan and Mariah um, and um, Nia and, you know, um, Karen Collins and Samika, you know, and all these different trans women, right, who are doing some type of work in the city and telling them um, what I've been through and, and, and telling them how 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 this law has impacted me um, or affected my life so much. Right. And so, you know, having that conversation with them, it began to turn out to biweekly meetings. And from biweekly meetings, we had, uh, and it didn't turn out to an event at Tulane University where we had a symposium and Malai was on a panel and, and Bonnie and Karen and Kaneen and all these different trans women who um, was affected by the crime against nature law began to tell their story, right? And so from there, you know, we felt like we needed more. We needed more to do, right? And so what we did was we continued to go to these meetings and we continued to have these meetings until, you know, uh, we decided um, to do a march in the city of New Orleans. This march was needed because as this march was, was going on within our city, people was like, what is crime against nature? They just didn't understand like what it was. And we had to like let them know, right? And so 
then, you know, leaders began to speak. We began to speak in front of City Hall and we began to, you know, talk about these things and stuff like that to try to get that attention, that national attention. But we felt like that just wasn't enough as well. And then Matt came, Matt Nato and, and Megan came. And so, you know, now we're here, like, you know, the visibility and the understanding of crime against nature law and, and, and educating people, you know, on this 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 injustice, you know, um, is um, amazing. So that's why we have the documentary to be able to talk more because sometimes people need to see, right? People need to see to, like, understand, like, you know, what we have to face as marginalized members of our community. So you mentioned Matt Nadel and Megan Platka, filmmakers who approached you about a documentary to make the Cans Can't Stand movement become Cans Can't Stand the film. What intrigued you about making a documentary and did anything make you nervous? You know, when Matt and Megan, um, who are the directors of um, Cans Can't Stand, had came to me, um, I was very, I tell everybody that I was very skeptical about, um, you know, having this meeting with them. Um, And the reason why is because, you know, so many people have came to me over the years, you know, wanting to um, shine light on the issues that uh, a lot of us had to face in regards to this crime against nature law. I feel like people came and wanted to be involved because of their own purpose. And I must use Matt in particular. Like, Matt put himself... I mean, I thought Matt was a transgender woman at one at one point in time. You know, I thought that's just how sincere he was in regards to, um, you know, trying to shine light on this issue. And so from the time that we met and even now... Matt and Megan has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. You know, they see that this is a real issue, right? And it has been times where me and Matt have been in numerous of meetings and stuff like that. And and Matt will look at me and like, how you feel? And Matt will be in a space where, like, he want to just cry because, you know, like, LGBTQ people, or particularly Black trans women, right? Like, our presence is not, it's not enough for society in regards to um, my community, you know, uh, uh, for people who are underserved, which is queer and, and, and Black trans women. I think that they are doing an amazing job in regards to, like, bringing um, light to this issue. And I think, you know, when we think of allies and we talk about allies, um, that would literally be an understatement for Matt and Megan because they are accomplices to us. Accomplices, yes. I love it. We all need to be that for each other. And I also want to note that this documentary is available for everyone to watch, which is really exciting. You can go see it on the New Yorker website. It's also on YouTube. And it really stands on the shoulders of the activism that you both have laid out for us. A big congratulations as well, because the film has been so widely received. It won the Audience Award at Out First and the Jury Award for Best Documentary at Out on Film. The film premiered in 2022, and you all have been touring the country as this kind of violent onslaught of attacks and legislative measures to curtail trans rights has ramped up. 
We've seen over 100 anti-trans bills be introduced to state legislatures, and that was just in 2022 alone. And the sentiment is definitely feels like it's gaining national traction. This March, actually, in the House of Representatives, congressmen introduced a bill to amend Title IX to ban transgender student athletes from participating in sports according to their gender identity. This is all a lot. And I guess I'm wondering what it's been like to release a film during this time and how you think that this climate has maybe impacted the way that you and the audience has been relating to the film. For me, it's not surprising. Um, I've always said that, you know, as long as trans folks, trans folks exist, you know, um, people are going to always find ways to be able to attack this particular community, right? Because it's easy to do, you know? And so it's disappointing, but also too, it's crazy that we have to think in a way where it's going to always be a norm for us. It's going to always be a norm that we're going to always have to fight. You know, and and that's just what it is. You know, it's just a norm. You know, um, you know, I I had a conversation with um Matt. You know, Matt called me and asked me how I was feeling. You know, in regards to uh uh the 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 big Frida signing on as an executive producer, right? And I was unable to like kind of like process and be happy for you know um things that I'm accomplishing, right? And so, and before you know it, you know, they had a trans bill, uh, a drag bill that came out in Memphis, Tennessee, right? And so, and it's just like something is always happening, right? And so, um, it's a norm. It's a norm, again, that we're going to always um, have to fight daily. Yeah, I mean... It- it's really troublesome, and we're definitely um, with you, standing with you um, in this fight. It's been really, really horrible to watch. Just the ability for the other side to just mount this huge resistance, and I, you know, I know it's not surprising, and I know it's been happening for a very long time, and it. That's just. It's. I'm hopeful that. The work that this film is doing, the work that you all have been doing for a very long time, the work that we're doing will lead more and more people to understand these issues and to, I guess, you know, pull a Matt and Megan and, and really become accomplices in this fight. The film gives us some updates on the fight against cans. Where does the fight stand now to end cans? What can people who are listening do? to help support the fight against CANS. Yes. So although CANS has been um, dropped out to a misdemeanor, it wasn't retroactive. So me, myself, I, I'm still a person with um, a felony conviction in the state of Louisiana. So it wasn't retroactive, right? So um, from here, you know, people need to get more involved. You can go to canscanstandfilm.com and learn more about the crime against nature law. Awesome. Wendy, you're the executive director of Transcendence, an organization to connect all women with employment and jobs, bringing visibility and resources to women seeking leadership positions in the South. Milan, your organization, House of Tulip, 
provides housing, social services, and community spaces for trans and gender nonconforming folks living in New Orleans. You all are so busy. I'm so appreciative of the time that you both have taken to speak and share your work with us today. Where can we find you? How can we support you? Where can we direct listeners to to support both of your efforts, both with CANS and fighting against that, but outside of CANS too? If you're interested in House of Tulip um, and you want to know how you can get involved, you can definitely go to our website, check out our social media platforms. We're very active um, with updating um, our social media um, platforms. That's Facebook, Instagram, uh, which is mostly commonly we use because that's more popular. Um, a little too old for TikTok. Never too old for TikTok, Milan. My, I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am. Um, but um, if you, yeah, if you have any type of donations, we also accept them as well. Um, just not financial donations. That is also great. But we also accept clothing donations and hygiene. So if you're in the city of New Orleans and you are in the process of getting rid of some things out of your closet, feel free to reach out to us and we can definitely inform you on the things that we are accepting. Um, but yeah, but most importantly, like, you know, just come on out, check us out, um, get a tour of our space, our facility, get familiar with the work that we're doing and the leaders within within the, the space. And um, yeah, let's just let's just continue to build. Awesome. And as far as transcending women goes, where can we find how to support you there? Yes, you can go to transcendingwomen.org. Um, it's an organization that supports and empowers all women um, to become agent of change in their community. Um, it's about uh, bridging a gap into uh, bridging a gap with all women. I feel like that our issues um, has uh, some type of intersectionality, and what transcending women has been doing is. Um, um, I have been going into uh, providing monetary um, distribution to people who are currently incarcerated, right? So they are able to get the things that is needed so they're able to sustain in a place where um, it's inhabitable. So um, if you want to know more about the organization, again, go to transcendingwomen.org. If you want to donate, you can click on a link that is on the um, uh, the organization website, and then you can go from there. Wonderful. Milan, Wendy, I mean, how can we thank you enough? Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for all of your work, um, your decades of activism. And thank you for sharing your friendship with us. It was really beautiful to hear. Everyone will have to go check out the film cans can stand and, and we'll make sure that people have the information to to go do that so thank you so much for joining appreciate you thank you thank you so much for listening hey we've got a new series and we need your help we're looking for stories of how you're showing up in your community maybe you're registering people to vote or volunteering at your school's lgbtq alliance we want to hear from you leave us a message at 212 549 2558. That's 212-549-2558. Or you can email us at podcast at aclu.org. We want to feature you in an upcoming episode. Until next week, keep showing up.